Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. And if you're watching the replay or on YouTube, thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. I appreciate you so much. Today on the podcast, we welcome Lynn Elioff. We're so excited to have her here. She's a lawyer, a former radio and TV journalist, and author of the books, Gutsy Glorious Life Coach and The Dignity Diet. She's a transformational mind, body, and business coach who helps women reconnect with their dignity. She works with lawyers and other high achievers who use food to manage the stress of their busy lives. She shows them that it is possible to stop using food as a buffer for stress. And due to a medical crisis that culminated in an operation to remove her thyroid, she began to see where she lost her dignity in her childhood, and she discovered how to get it back. And she helps women reconnect with their the dignity they're born with. Now, during the podcast, we talk about the type of women Lynn coaches and how personal coaching can lead to transformation. We talk about reclaiming the dignity we're born with. We discuss feminism and its definition and how it can be different for different women. We discuss connecting the mind with the body and how to listen for clues. We discuss shame and the role responsibility plays in making changes in your life. Now, stay to the end to find out how she suggests you start to listen to your body. And we address so many issues that we ladies in menopause grew up with, you know, the shame, the waiting for permission, and how many of us have a negative voice in our heads and the need to always be thin. Now, at the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for all of the five-star reviews. And if you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast because this helps more women find it to get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. No one should have to go it alone. And thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. I'm excited to have you here. I'm really excited to bring this podcast, especially with Lynn, because she treats some of the same women that I do. And she, she talks to a lot of women who are high achievers. And so I'm just really excited to have her on the podcast today. So let's get to her. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Lynn. Yeah. Welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. I am thrilled to be here, Michelle. Thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do, who you serve. I work with women who want more and rightfully so. Although oftentimes <laughs> women don't even want to say that, right? We feel guilty and we feel shame because we want more. We have these thoughts secretly like, am I even allowed to ask for more? Like, shouldn't I be giving more than I'm getting? And so I am working with women and this is like the most rewarding work I have ever done with, and they are going through perimenopause, menopause, where now sure. they're like kind of open to the idea, like, damn it, I have a right to want what I want and get what I need and owning that. So those are the women I work with in various aspects of their life. You know, you can't have, you know, a great, be great, everything great at work 
and what you're suffering inside with your body, it's all connected, right? So you've yeah. got to have all cylinders firing. So the question I have for you is, let's go back and start a little bit on like, what is your background and where did you start? And, you know, like, like, what do you do now? What did you do before you started helping women? That sort of thing. Well, my very first career was in radio, television news. I was journalist uh, on air. I, eventually, I was a reporter, an award-winning reporter, actually, if I'm going to toot my own horn there. Never used to do that. <laughs> and okay. then I became a news anchor. And I did that for a while in a major market in Canada. My husband took our family, brought our family here to the States. I live in New England now. So his job brought us here. And I was pregnant with my fourth child. And in our town was a law school. And I wanted to go to law school my whole life, but my career was so great. I couldn't justify leaving a career and going to law school. So after I had my fourth baby, I applied to the one law school in town, got in, became a lawyer, absolutely loved the process of going to law school. It was all because it was all about your mind and thinking and changing the way you think and see things and logic and reasoning and all this stuff that, you know, we don't really understand until it's pointed out to us. And then that took me down the road of, I wanted to start my own business, but I knew that I didn't want, I, I used to think I wanted my own law firm, saw some girlfriends struggling like crazy with that. So I took it online and I saw all these entrepreneurs with their assets exposed, so to speak. So I started my very first business was called Cover Your Assets Online. And cover, I wait, 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 cover, cover your assets, cover online. your assets online. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. And so that was, I identified for entrepreneurs the, who didn't want to spend a lot of money on a lawyer because they wanted to put it into their business. So I created a DIY legal toolkit and that got me hooked into being my own boss, having my own business. And then from there, I was working with women who were starting their businesses and coaching them on that. And then it got into personal coaching, which is the most rewarding work that I've done. Personal so, coaching. Yeah, private so now coaching. Now you do, you do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do a fair amount of one-on-one -on -one coaching. I used to do a lot of group coaching, but I love the one-on-one. -on -one. It's that connection. That's one of my top values in life. And I realized that as a lawyer, one of the things I loved most was just connecting to people and really listening to them and their stories. And most lawyers don't have time for that, right? But that's what I loved. And that's what made me a good news reporter and journalist. So it kind of all comes full circle. Yeah, sure. So y when you do coaching, you're, you're primarily working with women, right? Do you work with any yes. men? No. Okay. So you Not only that work I with women. don't like, I love men. It's just, but this is, the, I do work with women. And when, when I work with women, it affects the men in their lives in right. such a good and positive way. So I guess indirectly, I work with men too. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because, you know, in my program, you know, we have the Minnow System and the Menopause Movement Membership. And what we've seen that happens with, with the women who go through that is that we see this huge ripple effect that not only, you know, do they, does it affect them, but, but right. all of these, you know, these changes. And so it sounds like you're, you're doing something similar in, in your one-on-one -on -one work. Yes. The ripple effect. Absolutely. I wrote a book called The Dignity Diet. And, you know, the word diet, I know, isn't a very popular word in this, but this isn't a diet. This really, my whole 
program and system starts with dignity and getting your dignity back and becoming a dignified woman and what that means. And that is so empowering. And so we really learn a lot about ourselves. Like people do not, people think, yeah, sure, I have dignity. Sure, I have integrity. When I start to coach them, we work on that. There's a lot to, <laughs> to uncover. And oftentimes what I hear is, oh my God, I had no idea. Right. I was thinking that, or I had no idea that's what it meant. So all yeah. of that, which is so exciting. I want to get to the story of how you got to reclaiming dignity. You know, did, did you have some sort of a, an experience where, where you lost your dignity or? So here's the thing, Michelle, we all lose our dignity after being born with it. Like we are all born fully actualized, worthy human beings that matter. Like, so we are born dignified. And then along comes societal pressures, <laughs> uh, parents, friends, media, spouses, all that stuff. And it alters or uh, get, it screws up the way we think about ourselves, okay. basically, right. right? So we lose our dignity. And I think it's a rite of passage. I really think that everybody does it just like we lose our teeth. The only difference is your teeth automatically grow back in, but you don't automatically get your dignity back. And that's where people can go through their whole lives like that and get to the end of their life and feel unfulfilled and never having really met themselves, met their whole selves. And so it's a process. So for me, I think I first lost my dignity, or, or this is as far back as I can remember. So I was nine years old, and I was with a girlfriend of mine, and we it was summer, hot, beautiful, sunny day, and we had our bathing suits on, and we were going to spend the day at the on the beach, at the water, doing all this stuff that we do. Except on this day, we said to each other, we're not going to eat today, okay? That's the plan. We're not going to eat today. And we're like, okay, we're not going to eat today. Now, we were two skinny, young girls, so sweet and innocent. That was a culmination of diet mentality, the diet culture, watching our mothers go on diets. Our mothers were never overweight, but that was in our heads. Women aren't supposed to eat. I remember that as a nine-year-old, thinking women aren't supposed to eat. And that went, I went for decades like that until I had my fourth baby. I was in my 40s. My thyroid gave out. My body said, no more. We're done with your way of doing things. And, it, and there was no, all the white knuckling it in the world was not going to keep me from the thing that was so scary, that, which was getting fat. You can't get fat. You mustn't get fat. You shouldn't get fat. Getting fat was the worst thing. And this is what mm -hmm. we heard all around us as young girls. Sure. And it's just, it's so sad. So that so, so, journey brought all right. me back to myself. So you had body image issues, it sounds like. I did. Yeah. And I had that. My mom put me in ballet when I was little. And yeah. so ballet for me was not empowering. I was bigger than all the other girls. It was really muscular and I wasn't that graceful. So for me, she was always, she like put these bands around our, our waists and I always like felt fat. And then, and that carried on until, I don't know, a few years ago when I said, you know, screw it, I'm, I'm going to accept myself the way I am. And right. then, 
and then that you know that led to kind of all this all these changes that I was able to make. I lost fifty pounds, and I'm still losing. And so when for you, you know, you you had this belief that women aren't supposed to eat, and I, I remember. So uh, we're probably similar in age. So you know, you're in the are you in your fifties now, or you're okay. So do you remember those those caramel like car like these caramel um, eat? Yes, they were called AIDS. AIDS, AIDS, yes. My mom used to take them. AIDS, My grandmother right. had them. Yes. My kids had them. My mom had them. And I'm like, oh, they didn't look good. I think I licked one once. <laughs> oh, I ate, I ate them. Oh, you yeah. Can and, have them. Yeah, sure. And that's why, that's why they all smoked. Yeah. You know, they, they all yeah. smoked. And, and smoked. you know, I look back at pictures of my mom from when she was pregnant, you know, with me or with or my brother, you know, my younger brother or something. And she was so beautiful and so skinny. Yep. And she was always dressed up. And I thought, you know, this poor woman who had all of these, you know, because she was born in the 30s, I think, maybe the, the, the early 40s. And so she grew up in the 50s and 60s. Uh, she got married, you know, she had her, all of her children in the sixties. And I just, I, I just remember feeling so, so, so sorry for her because if you look at the advertisements from the fifties and the sixties and how, you know, now we're, we're going to talk about, I mean, almost every podcast I talk about the patriarchy, right. And how the, you know, if you look at the advertisements, how a man is taking his wife and putting her over his knee and spanking her and not, you know, women, women were never equal. And it wasn't, I mean, really, we're just starting now in, you know, 2017 or so with Me Too to really start to pull into, at least in America, our, our worth, you know? Well, and you know, what's really interesting too, Michelle, I did this, you know, this poll and I asked women like, just open-ended question. How do you feel about feminism today? Or would you call yourself a feminist? And of course, there were several women who said, hell yeah, and absolutely. And with Me Too, a lot of that changed. But boy, oh boy, there were some women who made it so political and made it mean something that has no, like not in my definition at all. And so there is this divide even between women about what it is that we think each other really wants. And I think mm -hmm. that's where the disconnect is because I think we do all want the same thing, which is health, wealth, prosperity in a nutshell, you know, love and to feel loved and feel connected and to be with people that uh, lift us up. Like who doesn't want that? And to me, that's what defines feminism. And I think that the patriarchy has convinced <laughs> everyone that feminine, not everyone, of course, but that's its message. Like feminism is bad. And oh, right. It's I mean, you, you know, if, if you think about it, there, there was, you know, the, the whole movement against the ERA back in the 70s that was led by women. I mean, it was led by women against women. And, and we were close, but we didn't and we just haven't revived it. So feminism, I mean, my particular view is that women should be viewed as equal and we should not have the boot of the man on our neck. Of course. That's course. all I'm That's saying. It. We should be able to choose our own thing, do our own thing, be viewed as equal and not, I mean, even now, even now today, you know, women scientists are paid less, doctors are paid less. It's just and we work more and we're expected not only to do the work that we, we do, but then go home and take care of our families on top of that. Yeah. How do you work with that, you know, with women who, who come to you seeking permission, which is something that, you know, obviously we're taught from a very, very early age that we have to ask for permission. 
Right. Well, and that's what happens when we lose our dignity because babies don't ask for permission. <laughs> Toddlers don't ask uh, right. or question, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, should I eat? I mean, that's what dignity is. It's like knowing that what you want and need is what you want and need, and you don't question that. And so it really isn't about me or uh, giving permission or getting permission from anyone else other than yourself and really understanding what that means. And for me, what mm. that means is you will do absolutely anything and everything to take care of yourself, even if it's going, even when other people don't agree, even when other people think you've lost your rocker, even when other people think that you're making a ton of mistakes. I mean, one of the things that when, as a lawyer who became a coach, one, that was one of the things for me, it was like, what kind of lawyer becomes a, a life coach or a life transformation coach or what, what's that thing she's doing, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, but to get to that place where it's like, damn it, this is my life, by the way, and this is what I do and you can have your opinion and I still love you. That's the key, right? Is to really accept that people won't agree with you and that you can love them anyway and yeah. still skip off and do your own thing. Yeah, that's, that's actually so true. I mean, you know, what kind of doctor leaves? I mean, I'm a surgeon. I, I trained as a surgeon. Yeah. And who, who leaves medicine? Surgery, which is like the apex of all doctors in, in a sense, you know, who leaves surgery to go and you know, help menopausal women? Right. Uh, I mean, and that's, and so the question you I have do. for you now, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do. I left, I left surgery behind. Yeah. And, and, and so the question I have for you now is, you know, you said something about, you know, not questioning your wants and your needs, but how do you know, how do we know, how do you help women understand what they want is really, I mean, because I may want to, you know, go and kill somebody, but we know that that's not something I can do. Right. right. So how do you, how do you help women kind of sift through what the, what the, you know, how to listen to what they're, what they really want, especially if they're not sure? Well, I mean, that's a really good point. A lot of women aren't sure because we've been taught to not be sure. We've been taught to not trust ourselves. And for some women, there is such a huge disconnect between what's above the neck and what's below the neck. Like mm. we have our minds and what our minds are thinking and we think it's possible truth. And then it's what our bodies are telling us and we pay no attention to that. That was right. the huge thing for me to realize that my body had a mind of its own. And my body had been trying to talk to me over the years and I would have nothing of it. And some women are very, very disconnected. And you'll hear, you know, you'll hear everybody say you have to love yourself the way you are and you have to love your body and all of that. Well, that's really hard for women to do, even when, you know, by most standards, people looking at that woman would say, she looks perfect to me, <laughs> right? But right. in her head, there's a disconnect. And I think we need to honor that. I think we need to sit with that. I think we need to stop telling women what to do. You need to love your body. You need to accept the way you are. You shouldn't go on a diet. Real women don't go on diets anymore. All these things only serve to shame women more. And being able to sit with a woman and letting her speak and say everything that's on her mind without my judgment, certainly, and without her judgment, ultimately, then we can finally sift through like what is 
it that she really wants. And oftentimes we don't know because we've been living a lie for so long. We think Mm -hmm. this is just the way it is. And it's not. So the question more comes along with, if you're disconnected between your head, right, your mind and your body, how do you help women pay attention to that? How do you learn to listen to your body? Well, you said it. (laughs) The answer was in your question. It's paying attention, like starting to really pay attention to what's going on up there, as opposed Mm -hmm. to like just looking in the mirror and judging yourself and not really hearing it. It's like that you you take it as fact. And you know, a belief is just a thought you've been thinking for decades and decades. And so you believe there's something wrong with your body every time you pass by the mirror. And that's just what you do every time you pass by a mirror. But what if one day, now that you're aware, you don't do the same thing when you pass by the mirror? What if on that day, all you do is notice, oh, I was just about to say the meanest thing about my body as I pass by the mirror. And that is the first step. Just noticing how we are and how we treat ourselves and how we break our hearts. Yeah, we do every well, we not only that, well, we don't keep our promises. We don't keep our promises to ourselves. Yeah. And it's the easiest, the easiest person to break a promise to is 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 yourself. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that we like to teach is self-integrity. We teach that, you know, we we really do help women find self-integrity through our through our program, the mental system. But and I'm sure that that's one of the things that you help women with as well when you do your one-on-ones with them. And I think that that we don't even think because of because I think we go back to the patriarchy again. We don't even think about the fact that we're breaking promises to ourselves. Like I didn't want to eat that, but I ate it. Right, because, because I didn't have control, good. right? Right, we, or I did, yeah, I didn't have control. Yeah, I didn't have control. I can't control myself. I have women right. telling me this all the time. And they almost make a joke out of it because it's so painful to really dig into that belief that I don't have control. Like to really yeah. say, I don't have control over food is shaming. It's sure. self-shame. And so to have someone show you that that just isn't true, it's just a belief that you picked up one day when you were nine and your girlfriend mm-hmm. and you decided that you're not supposed to eat because if you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Women who eat are shameful. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a really interesting story that you, you, know, you got to tell yourself because of your you know, because of the, the, the stories that your, that your grandmother and your mother, you know, said, because, you know, that, that, that whole AIDS thing. And, and it's so funny because I remember when, you know, AIDS was very popular, the, the supplement, when the AIDS crisis hit and they had to change their name or they might've gone out of business. That's right. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. I think they might, they might have gone out of business, even though it was spelled A-Y-D-S. I remember yeah. that and thinking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when the AIDS crisis hit, I remember thinking, oh, no, 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 this is not, not going to work. So when it comes to shame, what do you think is the, is the best first step? Other than like, I mean, one of the things that the women that come into my program, almost all of them say, I can't look at myself in the mirror. And so we work on that and we talk about that. But what do you think is the next best step that someone, uh, you know, who's, who's having a lot of thoughts of shame can take 
to help herself, to coach herself into more self-acceptance? Well, I, I think, again, it's awareness that I am, what this is right now is shame. Like to really know what that feels like. Most women who experience this will do anything to not feel it. So they'll eat something, they'll go buy something, they'll have another glass of wine, they'll have a second helping of lasagna, whatever it is, they'll do whatever they can do to avoid feeling it. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to feel it first and sit with it without buffering with something, whatever that might be. That is not easy to do, but it's necessary to be able to reclaim how you think about yourself and just noticing, wow, all that shame. And it's coming from identifying the thoughts and beliefs behind the shame. And then from there, challenging all those, you know, the paradigm that that has kept you stuck. Yeah. I mean, behavior change starts with a decision. But a decision, you know, I, I like to tell I like to tell the women who who follow me that if you want to change a behavior, you know, you have to make a decision, and a dream without action or a, a goal without action is just a dream. That's what I say. And so, if if you want to change the way you look at yourself, then you have to start by accepting where you are, which is hard. Yeah, which is People hard. People don't want to accept where they are. They want to lose the weight, make the money, repair the relationship, do everything just like that without realizing that, heck, if it took decades to get me here, how am I possibly going to turn this around in a day? So patience really is a big part of this. But more than that, I think it's self-acceptance. And again, you know, it's like, this is where I am today. I don't have to stay here. I'll probably stay here unless I course correct something, but I will stay here if I don't change the foundations and the process that got me here. So like the old Einstein quote, right? (laughs) Yeah, 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 sure. Well, I just, I'm just thinking about, you know, for me and how, how I was able to make changes. I remember for years, I mean, from, you know, I, I had gained so much weight and I was so disgusted with myself. And every time I looked in the mirror, I would just tell myself I was fat. And I, all I wanted to do was get back to exercise, but I just couldn't find the motivation. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, didn't have the, the motivation or the willpower. I, I mean, I just had so much like negative self-talk that I was, I was really stuck in what we like to call minnow misery. And, and I just couldn't do it. So I had all these thoughts that, and I, I remember specifically, I took, took, we took my son to a Lady Gaga concert and I remember, you know, just thinking, God, I'm so fat. I need to start exercising again. And, and it, I had an emotional reaction to that, but it still didn't make any difference. Right. Cause so, that was shame, right? The right, emotional right. reaction was shame. Yeah. Right. And, and you sh- can't from shame do something you're not mo- shame is is a lousy motivator if it anything really is, you know yeah. it'll make you white knuckle it for a little while right i was the opposite of you michelle so i grew up with that fear like you can't get fat and women don't eat and then of course i go into an industry you know television oh, yeah. industry where that is like oh you know how i looked it didn't matter you know, that I, uh, that how well I did with my reporting or that I did win awards. None of that really got me any attention. 
what got me attention was how I looked. And so my value was tied to how I looked. And I thought, come hell or high water, I need to preserve. So I would do punishing exercise. I would like run every single day. I would do all kinds of exercise. So it's just kind of the flip side of what you were doing. We were kind of on the same path, but, you know, with different results. But the, sure. the, the thing in our heads was, you know, something's off. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, the thing enough. about shame, the thing about shame is shame is just, uh, you know, it's, it's a blame turned inward. Yeah. It's blame turned inward. And, and you know, it, it's guilt, guilt, shame, and blame are all, you know, the same emotion. And what we do with it, we like to not take responsibility for our own behavior because if, if it's really my fault that I've gained, you know, 50 pounds, then, <laughs> then, then I have to actually recognize the fact that, that I, I, it was my behavior change that, you know, that led me, my behavior led me to that result. And when you, you know, it's, it, that's hard to see. That's, you know, so it's easier for me to say, well, I'm going to blame it on my hormones or I'm going to blame it on, on my thyroid or I'm going to blame it on, you know, menopause, the fact that I can't, right. yeah, menopause yeah. or I'm not going to, you know, I can't metabolize this or whatever. Right. And to be fair, menopause does have a role in weight gain. It does. As we lose our hormones, it does have a Absolutely. role. Absolutely. Yes, it does. But it's still our behavior. It's still yeah. our behavior. And when we, you know, we, we have, to, even though, I mean, one of the big, big, big complaints is that, you know, I just can't shift the weight. I, I still exercise. I still eat the same and I just can't shift the weight. And we see that. I mean, I'm sure you see that in your audience as well. And what, you know, what we do is we help women understand that, that, you know, when we start to age, we have to do things a little differently. And that's what we have the podcast for. And, you know, I mean, we have to do things a little bit differently, but we can be effective and we don't necessarily have to live in that body if we don't want to. I think what you said about taking responsibility is huge. And I think that, you know, we kind of get that in our heads, but we really don't understand what that means. Like my, you know, my, my short form for that is to woman up. I mean, we have to woman up. We have to step into our adult lives because when we bring our child mind thinking into our adult lives, we end up with a mess because the way we yeah. learn to think as children, and we bring that into adulthood because nobody ever tells you when you're 25 or around there that your prefrontal cortex, by the way, is now fully functioning and you can come up with your own thoughts and ideas and <laughs> beliefs. Nobody ever says that, like blank slate, come up with your own stuff. No. So we bring it all into our adult life and we're still thinking like children. I mean, I love this point so much because yeah. I have spent a lot of time over the last few years really looking at every single belief I have, you know, and try, I mean, you can't all see them all, right? But to see the ones that you can see. Yeah. And one of my things was that I always responded to anyone that I viewed as authority as a 10-year-old. As you know, I always saw myself as young, immature and not knowing. And so when, whenever, uh, and especially the men, and I thought, you know, what the hell is this? I'm, I'm an adult. I'm in my fifties now. And why is it that I'm looking at everything as if I'm naive? And I just had this whole naive kind of self-talk that I wasn't worthy or that I didn't know enough or that I, you know, so, so this was, and I, I, you know, I can't be the, the only one. I mean, be, just because I grew up in such, such a strong patriarchal, misogynistic sort of atmosphere that, that involved, you know, some, some really very serious uh, physical abuse, I just always saw myself as that person. And so it's been really like 
liberating for me to, to self-coach and to self-parent yeah. and to say, you know what, it's okay. You know, it you are okay. an adult. You can make decisions and right. it's fine. And you can, you can go out and it's okay to leave surgery and help women That's in right. menopause. And, and, it's and okay that was so freeing for me. I, I love it because yeah. here's the difference. Like when we play cards, now I'm not a card player, but I, you know, like when you play cards as a kid, you used to, you know, with my kids, I'd play cards and they'd cry because they didn't like the cards they got because, you know, how are you supposed to win with a bad hand? But the hand right. you get is the hand you have to play. And as exactly. an adult, if your thyroid goes on you, you go through menopause, whatever it is, those are your cards. Exactly. How are you going to play? How are you going to play? Because we can just simply say, oh, well, it's menopause, or oh, I'm powerless over food, or oh, the, blah, blah, a million different things. I have diabetes. I have this. I have that. Yes. Now, where do we go from here? Because to yeah. simply fall back on that and say, these are the circumstances, I'm powerless over them, is how we don't take responsibility. So you have yeah. to take responsibility for the cards you're dealt and this is something that, you know, we don't believe and it just sounds cute to say, but there's a reason why you've got those cards. Like you're supposed to have those cards because there's something to learn from each and every one of those cards. My thyroid gave out on me. I had to have surgery from it. I learned that that's what sent me into the abyss at first. Sure. And then, you know, and then I rose up. And well, so, so, so let's just, let's just talk for a second about your thyroid. You had a thyroid operation. You have a thyroidectomy or? Yep, full thyroidectomy. Okay. And did you have a cancer or? No. Hyperthyroid? Yep. You were I, hyperthyroid. Yep. Hashimoto's. But that's hypo. Hashimoto's yeah. is hypo. So what, you had, hi, you had hyper Hashimoto's? I had Hashimoto's. The one okay. where it's, um, hyper is the one where it's overactive, right? Yeah. 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 That one. That's oh, okay. That's a little bit rarer. And so you, so did you have a, there's a condition that comes sometimes with hyperthyroidism called thyroid storm, which is really dangerous. So it doesn't sound like you had that. Did you, did your eyes bug out? No. All right. No. So there's, that's, that's another Maybe thing. I got is it that, wrong. Maybe it is hypo. Whatever it, whatever it was, I yeah. had, the, the doctors were going to say, my TSH was normal. Right. But okay. the doctor did a test on me and she like felt my neck and she said, hmm. I said, what do you mean by hmm? She goes, well, let me do a thyroid test. She does a thyroid test, comes back normal, the end. I phone back because this is just how I am. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not satisfied with the hmm and the test is normal. They said, well, if you want, we will do not a biopsy. It started first an with an ultrasound. Yeah. And then they found the ultrasound showed a few nodules. So from there, right. they went to a biopsy, which was inconclusive. Had I okay. not, you know, had I not fought for myself and stood up for myself to say, that's just not a good enough answer. You know, uh, your TSH is normal. And who knows? It, it wasn't malignant. So I may yeah. have survived with this thyroid the rest of my life but there was a reason why it was inconclusive and there's a reason why everything happened the way it is and so sure you know it's to say now that was a gift back then I would have slapped you yeah no but this is this is such right? a great story because you know there is you know you, you've you've talked about the importance of self-advocacy when yeah. it comes to working with doctors that's really important and the other thing is you've talked a lot about the hindsight window mm -hmm. and the hindsight window it's a concept that that I learned from Eric Edmeads 
and you can look it up on YouTube. It's the hindsight window. He talks about how when something bad happens, something that you perceive as bad, the sooner you can reframe it as the best thing that's ever happened to you, mm -hmm. the sooner you can move on with your life. Right. And so here you are saying that, you know, this thyroid crisis led yeah. you to this new life. And yeah. any, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, things are just things. Are they good? Are they bad? We don't know. You know, they just are. And the soonest, the sooner we can say, you know, hey, you know, my house burned down, but here's what's really great right. about that. You know, there, there's always, there's always something good that comes out of a tragedy. And, you know, I, I don't want to minimize loss because loss is really big, especially loss of life. So if, you know, don't, don't think that, that I'm, I'm trying to minimize grief. But what I am saying is that every time we have an adverse event, something that we view as adverse, we can reframe that to, to it being the best thing. And, and an example for me is, you know, this COVID crisis, it has pushed me into being a lot more present. I had to cancel a live event. And so instead of doing the live event, we did the, a beta course that, you know, some, some women who are listening now went through. And that's been really fantastic just to, to kind of meet more people and be a part of that. And so there's always a, a lining that is yeah. good. That is so true. And it is really about reframing. I mean, yeah. my first reaction with my thyroid was, thanks, body, you've let me down again, <laughs> right? Like my body did this to me. And instead, what I learned was that my body had a lot of wisdom and I hadn't been listening and it finally, you know, was trying to get my attention. And so I think that really understanding that what happens in your mind is really what's real and true. <laughs> Don't trust what your thoughts are. Don't trust them at all unless they make you feel good. That's mm -hmm. what I always say. Unless what you're thinking actually makes you feel good and positive towards yourself and towards others, then question it up, down, right, and left because there's probably a flaw in your thinking. There's a flaw in the way you're thinking about something, and that is not serving you, even though you'll want to defend it. But of but you should see what he's like. He's so mean to me and all. Yeah. And my boss this and my work that. And we will fight to defend the very thoughts that make us feel horrible. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually do argue for our limitations all the yeah. time because we're stuck inside of a belief. And I like to say that there's one thing I know that is true. And if I take this pin and I drop it, it's going to fall. And it's going to fall every single time every because single gravity time. is a law. But what I believe may or may or not be a law, right? What I, may, what I believe is just a, just a belief. Is that really true? And so I like to look at that. And I think that's a really good way of managing anxiety. And you know, we've got a few podcasts about anxiety. When you talk about the, the wisdom of listening to your body, we're not taught that there is this connection there. And, and so how would you tell the women who are in the, the men as well, who are listening to the podcast now or watching it on YouTube, how would you, how would you tell them that, that here's how you really start to listen? Yeah. So I think that, you know, at the risk of sounding woo woo and all that stuff, I mean, we are all energy, right? We are just walking balls of energy. And so your body speaks to you in its language, not like the way your mind speaks in sentences and thoughts and beliefs and logic and read. Your body doesn't speak that way. Your body speaks to you, talks to you by the way it makes you feel. Like what you're feeling 
is a physical response to what yeah. your mind is doing. And so noticing how you feel in any given moment, instead of just accepting that this is just the way things are, and then asking like, why? Why am I feeling disappointed? No, but really why? What beliefs do I have that lead me to the conclusion that disappointment is, is what I should feel in this moment? So I think that being able to pay attention to the language that our body speaks, it's so subtle and it's, it almost, it forces, you know, when someone has a really quiet voice and you have to lean in to really yeah. hear what they have to say, it's kind of like that. It's like, what are you, what are you talking, what are you talking about, <laughs> body? Like, mm. tell me. And then really being willing to sit and wait for an answer. And the answers come and they don't always make sense and they don't always have the right timing and they may not come for two weeks or two months. But I think being able to, to trust like for me to say to my body or my inner being or myself or my source or whatever you might call it, I need some help. I need some answers and I'm going to wait for you to tell me. And, you know, people have different beliefs about where those answers may come from, but they do come. But mm -hmm. if you're too busy running marathons or running out the door or, or eating, uh, eating when you're not hungry or talk, going out and socializing constantly, if you're not willing to sit with yourself long enough to hear the answers, then it's never going to happen. And you're just going to say, ah, is it just yeah. me? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I like to tell the ladies who come into my program that every answer that you need is inside you and you don't have to look outside of yourself. But that is, you know, we, we really do start to get to the woo and I'm okay with woo. Woo is all right with me. And my, my own journey is that I was raised Catholic and then I went to the Pentecostals and then I realized that I like, I had kind of a sexual preference for women and that didn't work with the Pentecostals. And so I was like, well, how do I, how do I put this together? And then because I was rejected by them, I completely rejected all religion. And I was an atheist for a really long time. Then something happened and I came across some training and I started realizing that God doesn't give a crap about what I do with my body in that sense. And that I just have to listen. Yeah. And so, so it's been a really interesting spiritual journey. And I'm, I'm now kind of a I, I'm devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda. I wouldn't say, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't initiated in Kriya yet, so I'm not a guru, it's not a guru disciple thing, but, but I did listen, you know, I've got the lessons and I went through them and I meditate and, and it's just, it's really helped me because at the end of the day, we, like you said, we are just energy yeah. and, and everything, I mean, you know, we talk about, we, when I'm, when I had Lindsay Durant on the podcast, we talked about, you know, transformational mindset shifting and how your future self can actually be sending energy to your present self or your past self to get through something that you yep. know is is coming, and so so time doesn't really exist. Other time than does as not a, as exist a construct. in that sense. Yeah, right? so so this is getting really woo woo, but yeah. but time time does not exist except for as a construct for us. Right. And the eternal part of us does, lives outside of time, yeah. and so that is really good. And then I wanted to go back to you know this whole this whole thing about listening to your feelings. 
And one of the things that my mentor, Dr. Srikumar Rao said to me is, is that if it doesn't make your heart sing, right. then it's time for it to go. So if you're doing something that's not making your heart sing, then it's time for it to find time for it to leave your life. And, and so that's been, you know, there's still a role of permission though. And so I had to actually give myself permission to say, you know, you went through all this training to become a doctor, to learn surgery and it's okay to let it go because it was stuck to a belief that I had when I was five. Yeah. And it's still serving you somehow, like maybe not in a surgical suite, but elsewhere. It's like, I am bringing all my lawyer skills to bear every day. It was like, nothing was wasted. Nothing went wrong. I didn't go in any wrong direction. There's no such thing. And so one of the questions I ask myself and what I teach people to ask is, you know, does this or will this dignify me? Is this like I like I'll say do the dignified thing, you know? So what does that mean? Well, if I eat this extra piece of cake or this piece of cake, I shouldn't eat the cake. Cake is off limits and all that stuff, which is just not true. There's two ways to eat cake: in a way that is undignified and a way that is dignified. And so you decide how you are going to eat the cake and whether in this moment you can even eat the cake in a dignified way. Because if you can't then you've got some more work to do up here. It's not that there's anything wrong with you and your body and that food has this power over you that you simply cannot control. It's none of that. It's what you're telling yourself about the cake. If I eat the cake, I'm bad. Cake is forbidden. It's all all about meaning. It all comes back to meaning. Instead, it's like, you know what? Today is my day to have this cake, enjoy every single bite of it, not chase it down with a side of guilt, and then go on and do the next thing that feels <laughs> dignified, right? I chase it down. Chase it down with a side of guilt. Yep. That is, I mean, how many women are going to relate to that? The fact yeah. that, you know, we do something and then we chase it with a side of guilt. So rather than having a, a beer chaser, we're having right. a chaser of a guilt. guilt chaser, I, I mean, right. Oh my God, I and love that. And that's the undignified. So yeah. if you can't do it without the guilt, then you have no business doing it. And I say that respectfully, you have no business doing things that make you feel guilty because it's unkind to yourself. It's just not kind. It's not dignified. So what would feel dignified? And it may be that, you know, not having that cake right now is the dignified thing for me to do. And maybe it will be different tomorrow. But that's how we honor our bodies instead Mm -hmm. of just succumbing to this notion that we have no power over anything, really. We have no power over our lives. And that is just, that's a scary place to be in. Yeah, I don't I don't like the idea that that we just let life happen to us and and yeah. even you know on my Monday morning uh, I have the Monday mornings with Dr. G on Facebook live and every every Monday I say listen we happen to our lives we happen to our week and so what are three things you're going to do this week that's going to move you closer to your goal you got to keep in mind your grand vision for your life and I understand you know at the time of this recording we're still in lockdown from covid some parts are starting to open up but even with that we can still like set a couple of goals that will that will move us forward so yeah i i just you know it's important that we reclaim the dignity that we're born with yes that is, yeah, I love that. that is behind everything that we do. And when we do that, Michelle, then it's not a question of 
should I exercise or I don't feel like it, it's you then begin to say, yes, my uh, to, you know, sweet six-year-old self that doesn't want to go out and do the exercise because it's boring and whatever. But me as a gutsy-ass woman who knows that my body needs exercise, right. going out for that walk is the dignified thing to do. And so that's what we do, whether we like yeah. it or not. Yeah, that's great. So on that note, where can people find you? You can find me at lynnelioff.com. But since that's hard to spell, <laughs> gutsyglouriousliving.com. That's easy. Gutsy, to, gutsy, gutsy glorious living. Glorious I love that. living. Yeah, that's what I stand for. And you can learn about the Dignity Diet there and all, all my philosophy. I also talk about Michelle. I wanted to tell you that at the age of nine, what I realized when I look back is that I practiced blunt force dieting all those decades. It was sure. traumatic. And so yeah. I called it blunt force dieting. And I tell that whole story on my website too. So that's something that I think women will so be able to relate to. And you can actually find that by going to bluntforcedieting.com. <laughs> oh, we got that. So we got three different ways to find you. We've got yeah. bluntforcedieting.com. We've got lynnelioff.com and we have gutsygloriousliving.com. So yeah. there's a lot of different places to find her. You'll find so, me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, Lynn, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you. And thanks for being a part of the menopause movement. Michelle, I love what you're doing. I love your message. I love that you took, a, that you pivoted and you followed your heart. So yay you. Yeah. Now, if you have questions about the topics covered in this or any other podcast, I invite you to open a conversation with me via email at info at menopausemovement.com or on Facebook Messenger through my Facebook page at Dr. Michelle Gordon. That's D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N. I also want to invite you to join in our next beta group. Here at the Menopause Movement, we are always trying out new methods of teaching and the best ways to get on top of your menopause symptoms. We regularly run beta test groups where we create a learning experience valued at $2,000, but at no cost to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials. To get notified of our next beta group, simply sign up at beta.menopausemovement.com. And thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. I appreciate you.